you really wanna know, then come on, let's go. Take a stroll down those. What's going on, Mountaineer Nation? Welcome into another edition of the Country Roads webcast, the season three kickoff show. Can't believe we've already been doing this. About to be going on our third season. As always, I'm Jordan Cruz here with my co-host, Stephen. What's going on, Stephen? Welcome to uh, another year, another time, almost football season. Big 12 playing, West Virginia playing, all good things all around right now. Less than a month away from uh, the first game. How you been, Stephen? I've been doing pretty good, uh... As good as it can be with all the crazy stuff going on in the world. Crazy time to be alive. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm surprised we made it to an actual football season, but you know. yeah, I was. I had my doubts. Well, at first, you know, I thought like we get through the summer, fall is going to be good. But then the closer it just kind of creeped up and creeped up on us. I was like starting to get worried, especially when I seen you know the Big Ten and Pac-12 canceling. But uh, Big 12, you know, so far is, is a go, uh, and I think that they're going to keep going. I just Hoping, hoping that we see more than just one game or two games. I'd hate to see you know a game or two get played and then it get called off. But you know, if nothing else, at least we're going to get some Mountaineer football. I feel confident in that, even if it's a game or two. Uh, yeah, we're we're at least going to get one game. Um, I, I'm anxious to see how they handle the season. Uh, you know, with all the protocols and everything from around the leagues, and also how they're going to handle the championship at the end of the season. As of right yeah, now, I guess they're saying that we're. We're still going to have a playoff. They canceled all the other ones uh, in collegiate athletics, but well, know, it's, it's, it's kind of weird. It's really weird, especially because the teams that said they're not playing are going to try and play in the spring. So is there going to be like a fall champion and a spring champion, like for college football in the 2020-2021 season? Like, I don't know. It's, it's going to be weird. It's I don't know how it's going to shake you out. It's going to be weird. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. To be honest with you, I don't foresee them playing a spring season. Uh, if they do, if they do, it's simply for for money reasons, and I think that's just wrong. Yeah, I mean, and now I do. that the NCAA then, is granted, well, you're going to turn extra, around and play again in the fall. You know, I mean, it's exactly, exactly. And I know, you know, a lot of the players that are for playing the season are very much opposed to playing a season in the spring because they oh, don't yeah. want to have to turn around. Which, that's you know, that makes sense because I mean, it's. That's basically a, your whole year right there is, is football. And right, and, and especially if you've already been granted an extra year of eligibility, even if you don't play or even if you do play, I, yeah, I wouldn't play in the spring. That was a that was a monumental decision that the NCAA made, just kind of freezing eligibility this year. So, I mean, it's basically just – I mean, if I understand it right, it's basically like you can play, but it doesn't even count. Like you can be a sophomore – play this season however many games it lasts or however many games you play in and then you can be a sophomore again in 2021 right right i and i think in a lot of ways this could be a positive if you know barring the fact that we don't have an outbreak within you know the league anywhere in college mm-hmm. football or basketball if they decide to play uh, i just don't i don't know how how they're going to do things because it's it's really interesting to see how different leagues around the country are handling or around the world anyway are handling these things. The NBA is doing a really good job. They've had no positive cases inside the bubble while they've been yeah. in Orlando. 
Uh, that's MLB, not so much because you know you have a lot of travel, and that's what my that's, that's the concern. my biggest fear is because West Virginia has to tw- travel what twelve hundred miles for, for the closest for the closest yeah their closest yeah. away game. So that's going to be a lot of travel on West Virginia, and that's just one team around the country. I mean, that's true. which I think I think the, the, the our team yeah uh, the the the. Uh, uh, the lesson schedules are like they're trying to help that and trying to limit travel. And right, I think for a right. team like West Virginia, like where they're a geographical outlier in the conference, it doesn't work as well as where the the other teams are playing conference games. They're relatively close. Most of them they can probably take a bus to. Don't have to worry about loading up on a plane, things like that. But even for West Virginia's case, I think the fact that um, if you look at the schedule, they you know six home games, four away games, which we'll get into that um, later on here in the show. But uh, that's kind of a good good situation for Virginia. They only have to do that four times this year, right, as opposed yeah. to you know six, five, six, seven, however many times they would have had to with the with the original schedule. But yeah, I'm with you. I think that's where the complication lies is is with the travel and 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 things like that. Especially, um, I know West Virginia is taking the precaution. All the football players are taking online only classes this fall, and that and that's really really smart. I think a uh, smart move to try and limit it within the football team. But you just kind of wait to see once students get on campus more, um, is this going to be a bunch of outbreaks that's going to cause the universities to step in and say, we can't play sports, you know, something like that. Uh, right. Um, I've seen a lot of things and by the university that's come out in the last few days that, uh, you know, they said that they find anyone on campus that have a gathering over, I, I mean, it's not very many people. I think it's like 10. Sanctioned, you know, a gathering. So, I mean, you know, kids in Morgantown, you know, they're not going to, they're going to do everything they can to try to throw a party. There's going to be too many activities going on, you know, for kids to be tempted nowadays, especially with everything going on. They're making it a theme. Uh, So, my prediction is there's not going to be students on campus very long in Morgantown. Yeah, I don't know about things, but that's true. Just the way. Things are shaking up, you know, throughout the country. UNC's already sent their their kids home, so I think it was a smart move to to at least put the football team uh, online only, uh, you know, keep them as safe as possible as as much as they have to travel, and especially if they start to allow fans inside the stadium at some point, uh, then you're going to start to, which I don't I don't think that is going to happen. To be honest, they said that they're going to try so, to allow the so, big football maybe play, 10, but... 20, 25 percent fans. You know, it's just going to be. First come, first serve, which I think that's, I mean, that's good because everybody has a chance, but also, like, the people that have season tickets and stuff, like, like what, what, what are they, how, yeah, how are they going to be compensated? Like, you know, they got to, well, they're going to have to do and see, that's, that's the thing because, you know, speaking from um, a season ticket holder, my grandfather, you know, and I've had him for probably, what is it now, 12 years? Going on thirteen years. Yeah, uh, he's already paid his dues for this season, uh, and and from what the university has said, you know they plan to allow us at some point to be allowed into the game. But I, as for you know a refund or compensation for for the payment, I from what I've heard, I think they're using that as you know as booster money to help the athletic department you know stay alive through all this stuff, which, which I, I, I well, kind sure of understand need, in a need. way, but still, you know, yeah, because, we, well, it just depends. We need it, to know more. And also if they're going to allow other fans and not just season ticket holders in, there's kind of a, you know, 
question mark in <laughs> a question mark in there uh, ex- exactly for sure because i mean i think if you're going 20 25 you should let your st- season ticket holders in first and then i guess you probably would have to go with students that want to come and that would be your attendance i i mean as bad as i hate it because i'm neither one of the i don't fall into either one of those categories personally and i'd love to you know be able to go to a game again but uh i think that that's what's like as far as the money spent and and everything that's what the the most logical uh way of thinking would be yeah i would if if i were the athletic department and i just if i had to have fans in the stadium if that was the only way that we could just have enough revenue to you know to to get through everything exactly because it's not even the the tv revenue is going to be good but it's it's not going to be the town of Morgantown thrives on that game day, you know, that game day economy right there. Right, it's, it's gonna right. Hurt, so, it's going to kill the town of Morgantown. So you go a whole year with that, and then, I mean, God forbid you go skip a year forward, and, you know, what if this is still the factor next year? I mean, that's t- that's two years of an economy, you know, just pretty much shattered with a oh, lack absolutely. of, you know, anyone being in it because everyone goes home for the winters and everything else or not the winters but the summers absolutely it's a lot of things up in the air not only around the world but especially in the sports world right now like you said the nba they're doing it right but it's the nba is almost the only one that can do it that way because you know football you have so many players you know 50 some in the nfl 80 to 100 some in college so it's it's different and you know i think not having fans they're trying to limit the outbreak but you know it's also a full contact sport, so you're just going to have to see and play it out from there. I know they're taking precautions. I know West Virginia has added the visors to the helmet on the top and the bottom, so I'm sure there's a lot of teams that are doing things like that. So we'll just have to see how it shakes out moving forward with the teams that are playing, how long they play, if we can get a full season in. Fingers crossed that we can, but um, if we can, um, let's talk about some uh, West Virginia, some things that are going to be different for 2020, and uh, talk about this upcoming season for the Mountaineers. All right, so let's start with uh, some the new additions for 2020, uh, the recruits, the incoming recruits for the Mountaineers. Um, we'll run it down from four-star all the way down, do it by order of ranking. Um, four-star athlete, probably going to play corner, could also have played wide receiver, going to probably play corner for the Mountaineers, David Vincent Acoli. Then you got the four-star offensive lineman, Chris Mayo. Four-star wide receiver Sam Brown. Speedster out of Florida. Surprise gift for the Mountaineers on signing day. And the four-star quarterback Garrett Green as well. Another big gift for the Mountaineers. Um, Then you got two big in-state signees and three-star defensive end Sean Martin and three-star center Zach Frazier. Uh, Moving on down the line, three-star wide receiver DeVell Washington. Three-star defensive end Akeem Mesidor. Three-star bandit Linnell Carr. Three-star offensive lineman. Tariq Stewart, three-star bandit, Tara Simmons, three-star offensive lineman, Jordan Wright, three-star wide receiver, Reese Smith, three-star defensive tackle, Quay Mays, three-star running back, Avarius Sparrow, three-star cornerback, Jairo Favaris, three-star defensive end, Eddie Watkins, three-star cornerback, Daryl Porter, three-star Juco player, cornerback, Jackie Matthews, and a three-star tight end in Charles Finley. So those are the recruits the Mountaineers have added for the upcoming season. Um, anyone out there on that list you want to talk about stands out to you specifically, Stephen? Um, you know, obviously Sean Martin stands out to me just because he's the home count, the hometown kid. Um, I'm really excited to see how he he does. You know, for 
you know, a freshman coming into college football, six six two sixty is not a bad place to start. <laughs> so, oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm really I I watched him a lot whenever he was down here in person, and and the kids got game. So I'm really excited yeah, to see how how he shakes out. That's and, a whole that's a hometown guy for me and Stephen for sure, right there in from Mercer County ourselves. More so, so for you, more so for you than for yeah, me. You actually went to the same water there, Bluefield yeah, High School. Yeah, same absolutely. alum. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, also, uh, da- David yeah. invented a coli. Uh, a coli, a coli. I'm not really sure how to pronounce yeah, it yet. I, I don't know either. I, I'm excited about that kid as well. If he can play wide receiver, then I'm excited to see how he does on the defensive side of the ball. Absolutely. I think there's some. I think that every like, there's a ton of guys on this list that I think can contribute this year, especially with what we talked about earlier with the frozen eligibility and you know not having to play in a limit of four games and lose that eligibility. Um, you've heard Neil Brown so far uh, in fall camp talk about Daryl Porter, the corner, standing out. You know some of that student injuries and guys out and other issues, which we'll talk about. Um, later on, uh, Jackie Matthews, a JUCO guy, a defensive back that I think contribute. I think Quay Mays at on the defensive line is going to get some playing time, and then I think you know you've got some big time players that are going to be um, stars for you down the road, and guys like Garrett Green and Sam Brown at wide receiver. I really like uh, Garrett Green a lot. You know, six foot five eleven, whatever you want to call him, but he's athletic. He has great arm strength, great accuracy, and I think that's your quarterback of the future right there. Yeah, absolutely. I like what I've seen out of him, and I like I like what I've seen out of his high school highlights. I'm not really sure. I haven't watched too much of any film on him while he's been at West Virginia. Um, but he seems to have a great attitude, and I, I absolutely agree with you. He's got to be our quarterback of the future if he keeps that up. Yeah, absolutely, especially well, when you know you take into account the frozen eligibility. He's not going to play this season. He's going right. to be behind, you know, Kendall, Daigie, whichever order those two end up coming in. And he's he can be a freshman again again next season when those two guys are seniors. So, I mean, he's going to start with a you know a clean slate pretty much, ability to be a three-, four-year starter for the Mountaineers. Yeah, and have all the knowledge of the system that he learned from the year prior. So it's pretty yeah. exciting when you think about it that way. Futures, uh, futures bright. Um, big thing in college football, you know, past few years, uh, especially since they introduced the transfer portal, has been transfers. Uh, Mountaineers have been benefactors of it. They've also lost some guys from it. But uh, this year, I think that they have quite a few guys coming in that can be contributors. But they've also lost quite a few guys. So we'll talk about the transfers here. Uh, as far as the people that have left the Mountaineers during the offseason, you got quarterback Jack Allison transferred out. Uh, Trey, quarterback Trey Lowe transferred out. Halfback Martel Petaway. Uh, your tight end, Giovanni Haskins. Two wide receivers in Tevin Bush and Ricky Johns. Two offensive linemen, uh, Tyler Thurman, and, of course, Josh Seals, uh, big-time contributor for the Mountaineers during his career here, going to Oklahoma State as a graduate transfer for his final year. And then two linebackers in Quantel Reigns and Giovanni Stewart. Reigns going to Temple and Giovanni Stewart going to join his former coach, Dana Holgerson, in Houston, actually. Um, out of those transferring out, Who's the biggest loss in your eyes, or do you think that West Virginia didn't lose too much as far as these people that have transferred out of the program during the offseason, Stephen? Uh, no, we definitely lost some firepower, that's that's for sure. Um, a lot of them were really surprises, but Josh Seals, I think... That's the one that shocked I me. I think that's, yeah, that, that's the one that shocked me the most. Uh, there's, let me, let me count them. One, two, three, four, five of them were shockers to me out of mm-hmm. all of those. I mean... It, Giovanni Stewart, I didn't expect to, to leave, especially yeah. to go to Houston and go to Dana. Right. Uh, 
talk hate speech on Dana this season, but <laughs> but uh, Josh Seals, you know, you hate to see it. You kind of understand if he just, I guess, wants to change the scenery. But um, yeah, I mean, I just really did not, I did not see that coming. I didn't either. Giovanni uh, Haskins, I didn't. Martel Petterway, neither of those guys. Yeah, I didn't see that either. I don't know, man. Uh, but the, and uh, that, one of those I got to just make a comment like it's Haskins. Um, I don't know if you saw it after he transferred. Uh, come down had some had some things to say about uh, Coach Brown and stuff, and I, I think a lot of it's because he didn't receive the playing time he felt he deserved last season. But you know, I just I just I don't like that. I don't think you know go ahead and transfer. You think your old coach put you on, you move on. I just that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. You know, obviously he got beat out in camp by Mike O'Laughlin, felt some type of way about it, and you know maybe that's why he wasn't the contributor that I thought he would be while he was here. But you know, transfer Miami, transfer from West Virginia. So I mean, I don't know. It is what it is. But I, I don't know if I don't know if you saw that or not. But I just had to make a comment on it. Uh, I had not seen that. That's uh, that's news to me. But you know, I I think there's just a little bit too much me 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 and. And, you know, especially in college athletics. Now, and, yeah, and I'm a supporter of, of the transfer portal, and I'm a supporter of people making their own decisions. But, you know, when it comes down to a decision like that, when it's just like you got me standing on the sidelines for two minutes too long, like, give me a break, man. Come on. You're playing at the highest level. Like, just compete when you're on the field and make yourself get better playing time if you feel like yeah. you're that talented. Like, Absolutely. That's and the then, worst like, excuse I've Well, that's, that's the one end of it. And then, you know, you go to the other end, and I see you guys like – Trey Lowe and Jack Allison, like I, I respect their decisions to transfer. Jack Allison is a guy that I think, you know, wasn't the best player, but also stuck it out here for a long time, was a good backup, did what he asked, never complained, never heard nothing bad about him. And he wants to transfer down to another school where he can, you know, get more playing time. And, and same story with Trey Lowe. You know, he graduated West Virginia in like two years, and so he's going as a graduate transfer, eligible to play immediately. And I think that's like a respectable end of, of the transfer portal. And you can Absolutely. even throw Martel Petaway in that as well, you know, for his senior year going to Middle Tennessee where he'll probably be their starter and rack up awesome numbers. Right, like, I, yeah, I said Martel Petterway was a shocker to me. I'm, I'm not mad at that guy at all. He he played well at West Virginia. He produced very well while he was there. Also, Trey Lowe and Jack Allison, I'm happy for those guys. I didn't, I wasn't yeah. a fan of Jack Allison's game. I wasn't, I was at first when, you know. When we when landed. Was, when he threw yeah. the 40, 50-yard bomb or whatever it was. Yep. <laughs> first play, he came on the field, but I don't know, he just never played out. And Trey Lowe. Uh, I wish him all the best, man. He played. He didn't play that well when he was on the field, but I, I like that's his skill set, man. I always thought man. that he, that's a yeah, yeah, man. Potential. I always like thought he guy. had a chance to do great things. He just never got like over that hump. I don't know never, what it was. Never got that. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, he just never got that full chance. And that's what I'm hoping now. When a guy like that transfers, he gets that chance that I feel like he deserves. Because I think he could be a good college football player. Oh, absolutely. If he's in the right spot, like just like you know. I think maybe like Bowling Green or I don't know somewhere in the MAC conference. Yeah, absolutely, a, low, a lower conference where he can really shine. He's got some wheels from, from some of the highlights. Thing, man. I think he's got an arm too. Just yeah, absolutely. He just didn't have enough size, you know. Yeah, he just in the didn't. Big Twelve conference. Exactly. Life. I think I think that that his accuracy wasn't where that it needed to be at the time. But you know, it, I think that he can. William Press syndrome. In my yeah, exactly, exactly. That's the two two players that are very similar in in their career path. If you if you look at it, um, so those are the transfers out. Uh, transfers in, and West Virginia's landed a slew of them. Um, 
Let's start with wide receiver Keon Wakefield, transferred to West Virginia from Louisville, graduate transfer, eligible immediately. Um, the way I, I understand it, I think all these transfers are going to be eligible this season from what I understand. Uh, yeah, I was going to say the same thing, yes, what what I read. Uh, I think so. The NCAA just announced that not too long ago, am I correct? Yep, yep, that's that's what I read. So if it's true, West Virginia is – I think most of these are grad transfers anyway, but – with that, then all of these should be eligible to play, which is a big boost uh, for the Mountaineers because all, all, about all of these that West Virginia landed are uh, solid players. Uh, then we go to on the offensive line, Jaquay Hubbard transferring to the Mountaineers from Virginia. Then you got a defensive end from Maryland and Bryce Band, a safety from Arizona, and a senior veteran player in Scotty Young, a punter from Troy, uh, who Neil Brown coached previously, and Tyler Sumter. Um, also, can uh, kick field goals a little bit. I think he'll primarily be a punter for the Mountaineers, but he could factor in there as well. And then a linebacker, Tony Fields the second from Arizona. Real stud there. Freshman All-American, three-year starter, one of the best players on Arizona's defense. Arguably one of the top grad transfers in the country right there, choosing the Mountaineers. And then most recently, uh, wide receiver Zach Dobson from Middle Tennessee joined the Mountaineers. Smaller guy, 5'8", 165, I believe he is. But Neil Brown has spoken highly of him since he's came onto the team and his skill set and his ability to make people miss. And uh, that might kind of fill the void of a player like Tevin Bush that the Mountaineers lost as a transfer out. But as far as these transfers in, Stephen, uh, do you like all of them? Who stands out to you? What are you thinking about these uh, transfers the Mountaineers have landed so far for the 2020 season? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I, I like the list of players. I like um, Keon Wakefield, um, as me and you were talking about before the show, <clears throat> uh, played well in the scrimmage earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Zach Dobson, what I've I've seen of him at Middle Tennessee, that kid is athletic. Uh, he's he's pretty that's, quick. He's shifty. That's what I've heard. I want to look up his highlights. I, I didn't get a chance to do it before we recorded today, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do that this evening and see what he's. Yeah, man, he's I, I strongly encourage you to do so. He's he's got some highlight reels that'll make you drop your jaw. But uh, okay. I think he'll be a little bit better version of Tevin Bush if you if you want me to be I honest. I believe that. I believe that. Uh, and then offensive line Jaquay Hubbard. Um, he seems like a big get from Virginia. Um, I'm not really. I haven't really watched much film on him, but as, as much as I've seen scrolling around he's social media, size, yeah, he's yeah. he's a pretty big guy. And so, yeah, I like the list. Uh, I'm I'm excited to see some of these new guys, man. I, out of those out of those guys and the recruits we've got, I'm really not sure who points out to me the most, but. Yeah, I think that there's going to be some some guys getting in for playing time. I think that all these guys could fight for playing time. Um, I think the two that stand out the most to me, I know you talk about Dobson, um, but I think the two guys from Arizona, and obviously that's the Jamal Adai connection right there, landing the safety and the linebacker. And I think both those guys uh, will be starters for the Mounders this season. Uh, Tony Fields, one of the better linebackers in the Pac-12, and uh, Scotty Young can play free safety, which the Mountaineers need after uh, a player has chosen to opt out of the season, which we'll get into more of that later. But I think he'll be a starter for the Mountaineers. And then I think you got another good grad transfer punter. Last year you had Grout, and this year you got Tyler Sumter. So, you know, like you said, all these guys I think are going to be uh, contributors this season for the Mountaineers. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, hopefully these guys, you know, hear, hear all the, the rumors and everything that they're – what they're predicted to finish this season. So, and, Absolutely. Some and try motivation. To produce. <laughs> Some motivation. That's what I want to see. All these one and nine predictions have got to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. 
So um, that being said, let's talk about, you know, we talked about some of the newcomers. How about some uh, jersey numbers, not only for the newcomers, but we got some jersey number changes as well. Um, from what uh, so far in the in the fall camp, you got Isaiah Isdale, wide receiver, changing from number 88 to number 9. You got Alonzo Adai, uh, cousin of Jamal Adai, playing corner for the Mountaineers this season. Uh, he'll be rearing number 4 instead of number 41. You got Josh Chandler, linebacker, uh had been number 35. He's able to wear number 37 this year. Van Darius Cowan, in the limited time that we saw him last year, he wore number 32. Switching over to number 8 this season, uh, Jeffrey Poor been number 13, switching to number 9. Sean Ryan, wide receiver, switching from 18 to 10. And Bryce Wheaton, formerly number 83, switching to number 0. And then the, as far as the newcomers, uh, so far you got Jackie Matthews, the cornerback, wearing number 3. Garrett Green, at quarterback, wearing number 11. Bree Smith will be wearing number 15. Sam Brown wearing number 17 at wide receiver as well. Uh, Bandit, Linnell Carr wearing 44. Another wide receiver, Keon Wakefield, who we just talked about in the transfer, he'll be wearing number 82. Uh, number 99 will be Quay Mays playing the defensive tackle. Uh, Bryce Band, another transfer we just spoke about, number 42 will be his number. Uh, Jairo Favaris, the cornerback, number 24. Zach Frazier on offense will be wearing number 54. Is another guy that we spoke, spoke about, Bluefield's very own Sean Martin at defensive end, will also be wearing 54. On the offensive line, Chris Mayo's rocking number 73. Akeem Mesador on the defensive end side, rocking number 90. Daryl Porter Jr., number 28 at corner. Another bandit, Taurus Simmons, is rocking number 45. A very sparrow, uh, the halfback West Virginia sign in this class, will be wearing number 22. Tyreek Stewart, another offensive lineman, wearing number 78. Tyler Sumter, one of the transfers, the punter that we spoke about, he'll be number 35. David Vincent O'Coley's wearing number 26. DeVell Washington, number 18 at wide receiver. Bandit Eddie Watkins, wearing number 53. And offensive lineman Jordan White, also wearing number 53. And then the Arizona transfer, Scotty Young at safety, will be rocking number 6. So there's some jersey number updates for you guys. Um... After talking about some jersey numbers, we've talked about some COVID, you know, some changes in the uh, training camp, some changes in the schedule. But West Virginia also experienced some change in the uh, coaching staff during this offseason here lately as uh, Vic Coning. Uh, I know that a lot of you that follow around probably know the situation and, and what happened and what went down. But what ultimately ended up is Vic Coning um, and West Virginia agree on a mutual departure. Vic Coning leaves the staff as defensive coordinator. And um, his replacements we'll talk about here momentarily. But uh, just as far as the whole situation, Stephen, just kind of want to get your thoughts about these, uh, the Vic Coning situation during the offseason and the decision to uh, part ways, uh, mutual as they called it throughout the university. And uh, where what your kind of thoughts were on that and uh, how you feel about losing Vic Coning and how you feel the defense will uh, move forward without him. Um, I'm, I'm, I was sad to lose him. It was just a really sad situation all the way around. You know, yeah. they had people on both sides of the board or both sides of the fence, you know, calling for each other's head. And, you know, you know, you just never want that with inside, inside of a program that's, you know, trying to do well. Absolutely. And, and you know, bar that, speaking just from, you know, a social standpoint, you know, I don't think that what, <clears throat> anyway, from what I heard Vic Coning said, of course, and none of us know exactly what was said. It was just hearsay. You know, some of it could have been taken wrong. Absolutely. Um, I think it, 
I don't think it was meant that way, but I I don't think that our defense will be worse off, I should say. I think we'll we'll be just fine with Jamal Adai and Jordan Leslie. I like both the both of those guys. Uh but yeah, I, I really I hated to lose Vic Coning. I liked him as a defensive coordinator. I thought I thought we looked good really well on the defensive line last year especially. Absolutely. Uh so that but like I said, that's why I, I'm glad that they bumped Jordan Leslie up so that we, we you know, at least keep that guy around. Uh but anyway, you know, Jamal Adai's always been he's like I've said before, he's always been my favorite player, you know, in history of WVU football. So I was glad when we got him. So to see him move up is really exciting for me. Uh, it's also exciting to see uh, his, what did you say, his cousin is Alonzo? Yeah, yeah his cousin Alonzo, or his nephew? Yeah. Uh, uh, I, see, it's one of the two. I want to say cousin. But cousin's I, old I'm number. Sure. Yeah, it's one of the two, yeah. Yeah, same. Yeah, I, I noticed Jamal that too when he switched college. to number four. I was like, okay, yeah. Yep, yep. It's going to be nice to see that. I'm excited to see him play too. Yeah, absolutely. I think, he's, I think he could be an impact player. But I, I agree with you. I think that um, whatever side of the situation you were on, uh, you know, like you said, I think that some of the things, according to what I read, and I'm sure that it, it could be deeper than that, I don't know, but according to the things that came out that I read, I don't think that they were really crossing the line too much. But right. I could also see where they could be taken the wrong way, depending on the context. But I think that with the way that that blew up and where everything came out, that I think you almost were left with no choice but to uh, part ways with Coning because if not, that's going to cause a divide in the locker room and, and things like that. I think that it was – I think that they ultimately made the right decision that they had to made – had to make, rather, even though I'm a, I'm a fan of Vic Coning. I love the defense that he's brought. I think, you know, Washington continuing that same system is a great thing, but I think that that's a decision you ultimately had to make just because of – keeping continuity within the locker room between the players and, you know, be it as it may, I hate to see a guy lose his job, but I think that as far as for the team moving forward, that was the best decision. And, you know, talking about that decision, you mentioned, you know, Jordan Leslie and Jamal Adai, they're kind of going to serve as co-defensive coordinators for this upcoming season with Jordan Leslie overseeing the front half of the defense, Jamal Adai overseeing the back half of the defense. Um, Dante Wright had been hired as offensive outside linebackers coach. He's moving to uh, safeties coach. Jeff Coons, who had been hired is uh, hire, is as inside linebackers coach and special teams coordinator, keeping that same designation. Um, Jamal Adai overseeing the cornerbacks. Jordan Leslie overseeing the defensive line. And then one change on that staff is the new outside linebackers coach is a familiar face in former Mountaineer defensive coordinator Jeff Castile coming on to the uh, full-time staff as a full-time assistant. So um, as far as those, I know you talked a little bit about it, Leslie, a little bit about a die, but um, anything else you want to talk about as far as the new uh, staff duties on the defensive side of the football for the Mountaineers? Uh, Jeff Castile, if that doesn't get you excited, then I don't know what does as a Mountaineer fan. Um, I, I'm excited to see how he does as the linebackers coach. It's going to be weird seeing him not as a defensive coordinator, but uh, – yeah. It's I think definitely he's exciting. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to, glad to see him back. You know, I was glad when we brought him back as an analyst. Even more excited now that he's going to be on, on the field assistant, um, a guy that knows the program, knows knows how to have success with the program, and I think he's only going to help these young coaches like Leslie and Adai. Um, Adai is a guy with a bright future. Leslie as well. Um, you know, Jeff Leslie's, still was Jamal uh, Jamal Adai's defensive coordinator. Exactly. So you got the relationship right there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And. 
Jeff Castile coached arguably some of our be- our best defensive units, uh, you know, in the yeah, mid to late 2000s. So. 2000, 2010 is one of the best defensive, defenses in school history, still in my mind. If that team had an offense, they would have really been special. Absolutely. Yeah, that's got to get your, your blood going, especially if you consider how well, uh, you know, we did offensively, especially kind of moving towards the end of last season when we picked things up. Uh, and then you think about – you know, on the coaching side of things, on the defensive side of the ball, and then you add to that on the defensive line. You know what you got in Dante and Darius Steele's, or you know, and you, know, you just got Pooler. You got you added Mesador. You know, you got some guys on that defense. Oh right, line. yeah, the list goes on. I I was I didn't know if we had three hours or not. I was just... Oh yeah, but the Steele's <laughs> brothers—that's the highlight for sure. That's Absolutely, what, that's what Darius. Absolutely. Darius, first team All American from CBS Sports, uh, top two fifty list for the Senior Bowl. Uh, so you know Darius is a guy that's going to have, I think, have an amazing year, and that's a guy that's going to uh, maybe go high in the draft. Oh, absolutely, yeah. He as well as he played last year. We can only hope that he can keep the momentum going into this year, and I think he will. He, the, the dude's just stud. I think he's going to be. Um, I don't know. He, I don't think he's going to be as good as, as Chase Young, but he, he might be right up there. The yeah, kid he's going to be just, good. He's yeah, going to be good. good. And then, you know, you've got guys like Jordan Jefferson and, you know, Quay Mays, the junior college guy that West Virginia added, that's going to allow him to play not only over the ball as a, you know, nose guard defensive tackle as he did last season, but that's going to allow him to move around. You can bring Jordan Jefferson and Quay Mays in and, and move Derek Stills around on that defensive line. Absolutely, so it gives him you know a little bit fresher legs than what he would have had to deal with last season. Absolutely, it's going to be a big year. The West Virginia defense, I think, is going to be strong this season. I think people are people are sleeping on it. But uh, speaking of the West Virginia defense, we talked a little bit about the effects of COVID nineteen is having on the season, and one of those was players opting out. And one of those players that have opted out, West Virginia only has one, but it is one on the defensive side of the football, and it was a projected starter, which kind of hurts the Mountaineers, but also, um, as we talked about earlier, bringing in a transfer and Scotty Young kind of fills that void. But Kerry Martin Jr. decided to opting opt out of the season. Um, also was, you know, at the head of the of the Vic Coning uh, situation there. And I think a lot of people are tying those two situations together, which I don't think they should. Uh, Kerry Martin Jr. has mentioned that he has people in his family that are very high risk, and he's just trying to be as safe as possible. So I don't believe the two situations are correlated. I believe it's purely a health issue and, and safety issue for Kerry Martin. But um, what are your thoughts on players opting out, and more specifically Kerry Martin opting out for, for, for West Virginia and how it hurts the team and how, and how you uh, reflect on that decision? No, well, you have to completely understand anyone uh, that wants to opt out of the season if they don't feel safe for them or their family. Uh, Kerry Martin Jr., I don't believe in any way that those situations were connected with him and Vic Coning because he, he's mentioned that he has sickle cell anemia. Uh, like you said, he has people in his family that he you know has concerns about, so I completely understand you know his concerns of not, you know, not wanting to play in this kind of atmosphere or in anyone else in the country that has any kind of concerns. Um, you know, these are unprecedented times that any one of us has had to deal with in our lifetime. Absolutely. So um, we have we have to understand when you know players make decisions like this, or anyone makes decisions like this. Just like we have to understand the the Pac-12 and uh, and the uh, Big Ten and the Big Ten. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I couldn't think of it. I got um, you. You know, the, the, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten Conference is canceling gameplay for uh, for the fall season. You know, we got to get through it. I understand that. Uh, but we don't have to get through it by, 
you know, putting a million lives at risk, you know, playing just for entertainment. And I do understand the financial aspect of things because you have to keep those things afloat. Um, but we have to make sure that we do things in the safest way possible. And, you know, you know, jumping back to Kerry Martin, if he has sickle cell anemia, if he gets COVID, he's, you know, he, he's going to die. <laughs> there's a very, yeah, very large, yeah. large chance. There's, there's that he free would not illnesses is what, yeah, that's what the results, that's what the death toll is coming from is people that have, you know, con- existing illnesses beforehand. That, well, for his age range. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I don't, so I don't know. I, I think that there's, and nowadays, especially, there's just too much people wanting to bash, you know, names on what they hear Absolutely. on social media. And, well, the timing, I think, is what really did it, you know, because it's like he comes out, the tweets, and the situation arises, um, you know, a week or two later. Vic Coning's out, and then I think it was maybe a week later that he said, you know, he's opting out of the season and even though those two situations aren't correlated, and like you said, I don't think they have any relation, I think the timing is what a, a lot of fans were like came out against him in that manner just because of the timing, you know. Right. Yeah, the timing was definitely poor. You can't deny that. I mean, it was within a week of each other. Uh, so, you know, there there would be – there is going to be finger-pointing in any kind of decision. You know, anytime someone transfers, no matter what the reason is, there's always – you know, both sides of the fence, you know, someone's congratulating, Absolutely. someone's telling them good riddance, we don't need you, you know what I mean? Like, there's always going to be naysayers, and there's always going to be people that, are, that you know, have the players back. And I try to always be one of those fans that, always, you know, tries to understand each individual situation. Two sides and to every story. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, we have to remember that these are young men, you know, they are kids. Uh, they, they're humans just like we are. They make their their own decisions and we you know we as well as them have to live with them you know absolutely their whole life isn't wvu football as much as you know we love them and we love what they do on saturdays we got to understand their personal decisions in their own life too yeah for sure for sure absolutely uh i couldn't agree more love well put well said um so uh, I think we've discussed a lot about uh, COVID-19 and this upcoming season anything more you want to add whether it's about you know the the conferences that aren't playing, the conferences that are playing. Uh, in, anything else you think we need to touch on there? Uh, no, I think we, I think we pretty much covered everything. Uh, let's let's get into it. Yeah. Let's talk about, uh, as you said, updated schedules due to the COVID. A lot of teams that are playing are playing a reduced schedule, whether it's conference only or, or what have you. The Big 12, the SEC, and the ACC are the conferences that appear to be playing. Um, a lot of G5 conferences not playing, as we said, the Big Ten and Pac-12 not playing. Um, the Big 12 has decided on a 10-game schedule with the nine conference games and one out-of-conference game for each team. As we said, West Virginia's week one game is their non-conference game, and they will not allow any fans into the stadium for that one. Following that, they have a bye week, and we'll go from there as far as addressing fans in the stadium. But as far as West Virginia's new schedule, if you haven't seen it, um, September 12th is the first game taken on Eastern Kentucky at home. A bye week, then September 26th taken on Oklahoma State in Stillwater. Uh, then two straight home games with another bye week sandwiched in between those as they take on Baylor October 3rd and Kansas October 17th. Back on the road the next week to go to Lubbock to take on Texas Tech on October 24th. 
come back home, and on Halloween, they play Kansas State on October 31st, and then travel again on the road to Austin, Texas, where they'll play the Longhorns on November 7th, back home against TCU on November 14th, final bye week of the season, the week following that, before taking on Oklahoma in Morgantown on November 28th, before one final road trip, the fourth of the season for the Mountaineers on December 5th, heading to Ames to take on Iowa State to finish the season. So six home games for the Mountaineers, four road games. Uh, what do you think about West Virginia's updated schedule, Stephen? Um, I, I, I like it better than I did the previous schedule in terms of of travel and you know everything going on with COVID and everything uh the four games limitations is going to be good for that however uh like we discussed earlier just 1200 miles to the closest you know road game is going to be even just four times this season and you got to go to Texas twice yep um which I'm, I'm sure twice within you know what two weeks I think yeah two weeks yeah, within two weeks. Yeah, so it's. I'm sure that's. They don't have very low numbers out there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure not. Biggest the states as that is. As, but, exactly. So it's going right. to be interesting to see how, like we said earlier, how far we get. But yeah, how uh, That's what interests me is the fact that West Virginia plays September 12th. I, I think they're going to get that game played, but the bye week in between is what scares me. Is is something going to happen during that week? West Virginia plays one game and that's it. You know, right, right. And then also, you know, I'm not saying what West Virginia necessarily, even though I'd love to see West Virginia go undefeated to go to the national title. A, a team that wins the national title this season is there an asterisk next to their name because of the things going on with the season. Not every conference being involved, limited schedule and stuff. Is is this a true champion? You know what I'm saying? Or is it like back in 1910, 1920s where you had four or five teams claiming, you know, national titles and people today saying, no, that wasn't legit. You know, it, it's going to be interesting. Uh, to me, uh, if you want to be all, all honest, if there is an asterisk beside of the name of the national championship, that asterisk should bolster it. I Absolutely. think it should strengthen the name of it because I if mean, you're playing in the middle of this and you find a way to win a national championship in the middle of all this, I, that makes you better than the teams that have played in, in the previous years, in my mind. You're, especially if they if they don't end up allowing fans inside of the state stadium, which like there's said, no home, there's no think, home field advantage there. None of the other leagues are allowing fans inside of their inside of their stadiums or coliseums right now. So why in the world would college football be the be the first to do it? Right. I, I could be wrong. I I may be wrong. I just don't see it happening. And if that's the case, you're going to see a lot of other college teams jump forward this year without that home field advantage of that loud crowd. Especially if West Virginia goes out in week two and plays Oklahoma State out in Stillwater without those paddles banging against the wall. A place that and we've struggled. I promise you, West Virginia's going to make it a way better game than what they would have if those paddles were on those walls. I think so. I think yeah. so. It's gonna be, I think so. It's exciting for me and when I, I look at and it. I, and I'm with you. I don't think – I mean, if you call it asterisk, call it, call it what you want, but if West Virginia was to win the national championship in 2020, you bet you I'm going to be uh, ripping that national championship hard as hell for forever. Oh, absolutely, and I don't care anybody that comes at me can at me. I, <laughs> like I said before, if you win a national championship, I don't care if less teams were playing. I believe that that makes the teams that are playing play that much harder. Absolutely. They wanted that much more because they feel like they have a chance to win it that much more. 
You know what I mean? They're, everyone's chances goes up if over, if those other teams go out. That's what makes the that's what makes the professional league so great. They don't have a hundred teams in their leagues. They got thirty two teams. Sixteen of those teams make the playoffs each year. Exactly, exactly. It's a whole different ball game. To me, that's, I, that's the way it is this year. For you know, that's what it's going to be. You're going to have what it looks like at this time: three Power Five conferences playing. Um, Notre Dame's playing in the ACC, and you know that may be it. There's a lot of these group of fives and stuff are canceling. You know, there's not too many that are going to be playing. I don't think so. You may have three Power Five conferences going at it. So uh, it might be the might be the way it shakes out. Uh, it, looking toward the future, uh, this I've seen a lot of things floating around about this too. I think this could point towards conference realignment in yeah, the very ultimately. near future. Yeah, ultimately, mm. because uh, you got too much. You know, teams like West Virginia that travel all the way across the country just for their away games when they, you know, they don't even play Pitt anymore. I mean, they're losing, you know, a lot of excitement. Natural a, a point in their season that people strive for and they miss. I per, Speaking from a personal standpoint, I know you do too. I miss mm-hmm. playing teams like Pitt and Louisville and Syracuse. Virginia, I know they suck ass most of the time. I know they suck. I enjoy playing them because of the rivalry of it. Yeah, exactly. It was one and nine when they beat us in 2007. You can't tell me, you cannot yeah, tell exactly. me that that doesn't get your blood flowing. That is it's, every bit of the part of the rivalry. Gotta, that's got to that's got to come back. I I think, don't give me a I don't miss 2007. Of, I don't want anybody giving. Right, we, we don't <laughs> want to stress it anything. But I think that's the next step of conference realignment is doing it by regions. You know, geographical regions. You got the east. You got the south. You got the West, you got the Midwest, you know, all right. on all that. And I think that's the next step is having, you know, 16 team regions or something like that. Which Big I predicted, that, I predicted before. Yeah, exactly. We've talked about it before on this show. You can go back and listen, but that's, I think, the next step. And I think that's the most logical, logical step in the way that it should go from here. Yeah, and I that it's not like West Virginia would be worse off. You're, you're going to be in a, a region with the likes of Pitt, Penn State. Old rivalry back. You're probably going to have Syracuse. Old rivalry back. You're going to have Virginia. All the, Virginia Tech. I mean, would Ohio. You, well, that that will be interesting for me to see how would they how would they handle that region because how far down would the region go if they added Virginia to it? Virginia to yeah, me would be in the true. same region as North Carolina, South Carolina, and teams like that. Well, that's that's what I think it's going to come to is it's going to be the big teams in those regions. Depends on how many regions like there the, are. The big teams in North Carolina, the big teams in Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio. You know, I think that you're going to have you know, four to five regions, and you have. I think that it's going to be that the bigger Division One schools almost form their own conference because you can look now with the way this COVID and stuff has proved the NCAA. It's not really a governing body. NCAA is just an organization, but it's not nothing that can rule over. As you can see, it was a Power Five kind of can do their own thing. The Big Ten and Pac-12, you know, chose not to play, but the Big 12, ACC and SEC choosing to play, and there's no one to overrule them there. And I think you're going to see those conferences break off and kind of do their own thing away from the NCAA, and it's going to really change the game as far far as you know the college football is going to become almost like a semi-pro at that point when you get those type of teams and just forming their own regions and just have the big schools going at it you know 50 60 schools or something like that yeah that's definitely the way that's shaken out and once again i've predicted that in the past as well that uh the you know these schools are going to and these conferences are going to break away from the ncaa and absolutely you have to understand you know why the they want to and 
as a person, that's something I, I kind of want to see is they kind of branch away from the NCAA and, and kind of have, you know, a system where they have a commissioner that oversees everything. Yeah, that's what you need. Um, and I, I think that it'll be ran more efficient than what they have they done in collegiate athletics to this date. Because, I mean, I think that allowing it's evolving. players... It's evolving. It absolutely is evolving. They've already... I mean, most of the states in the country have, have allowed um, the players to now receive compensation for their lightness and for, mm-hmm. you know, autographs and things of that nature, uh, I, which I'm in full support of. If, if someone's using my name, I want my money for it. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's only fair. I, and like you said, I think it's going to be more of a semi-pro league. Uh, like, you know, the NBA has the G League. You know, football is going to have college football. College it's going to be the, it's gonna yeah, be it's the same gonna thing. Be, it's going to be development. It's just going to be the big, yeah, the big teams, you know, the 50, but I think 50 also, to 60 or something like that. And then all the other teams can still keep, you know, continue playing on the NCAA banner or what have you, you know. Yeah, also, I, I, I'm I'm hoping that's, that that doesn't affect West Virginia in a negative way. It could. I mean? It could. Right, because, because you've got to think then, some of these bigger schools like Alabama and Oklahoma and Texas well, and all the bigger talking, schools. There's no, there's no recruiting violations. There's no exactly. And, you know, it's it's gonna it's gonna be hard. Yeah, it'll be hard for West Virginia. And part of me is torn because I think that would be good for the game. But then the other part of me is torn because I'm like, is West Virginia gonna have to fold and come in together with a couple other universities and either you know what I'm saying or something like that? Is something that you worry about? They could also set rules in place, you know, kind of like they do in the NBA. They have the tampering rule. You get fined if you're tampering. So they kind of set things up like that. But it's definitely going to take a lot of discussion and a lot of intricate, you know, work of detail before they get anything, you know, mapped out to where it'll work. But I like the overall idea of it. I like having the idea of having regions instead of conferences. because Yeah, I think it's the next step. Yeah, it's as excited as I was when I, you know, I found out out about us joining the Big Twelve Conference, and as excited and as much as I as I've enjoyed being in the Big Twelve Conference and watching these games and, you know, being and playing nationally ranked teams on a more often basis, it just doesn't, it's just not, you know, typical for what West Virginia. It's not geographically correct, right? Right. Absolutely. I think no one uh, would argue the I fact agree. that they've always wanted to be in the ACC versus the Big 12. Yeah, ACC or even SEC. Either one of the As, two yeah. would have been a better fit. Which both, um, if I'm not mistaken, we had discussions uh, about going to those conferences. Uh, our, our athletic departments did, and I the ACC so. voted us out because our, our academics uh, were not. Academics, yeah. Duke and North Carolina didn't want yeah. to go, go along with it. Mm-hmm. And then um, the, AC, the SEC just flat out didn't want us. I don't know what yeah. it was that they didn't want I but. think that if they could go back, they would change that decision, especially the ACC would add us uh, before they added Pitt. Yeah, now that we've proved that we can at least compete in the Big 12 Conference, you know. Or, or at least sell out the stadium. Pitt has about five fans every Saturday. True that. So. True that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, that's a little bit of talk about the schedule. Uh, we'll get more into that in later episodes of the show. This is just a kickoff episode, but 
Uh, we'll get more into that. But uh, before we talk about what's upcoming from us here on the Country Roads webcast, West Virginia did today. We're recording this on Saturday, the 22nd. West Virginia had their first scrimmage of the fall today. 88 played two-hour scrimmage. Um, sunny skies, cool temperatures for mid-August. Uh, first time since March 12th the entire team has been together since the end of last season. Uh they didn't stim- uh, simulate any noise or any music in the stadium because they wanted to reflect the atmosphere that the team will uh, be playing in in the season opener against Eastern Kentucky. As we talked about, no fans will be in attendance for that one. Um, Neil Brown, after the scrimmage, said conditioning-wise, not exactly where they need to be. Ran uh, about 40 plays with the ones and twos and about 20 or so with the third string. Uh, also, they worked some goal line situations, some two-minute drill, third downs, and red zone situations. Um, uh, the big positive, that I think, that I took away from this was that the offense ran the football way more effectively than it had um, at any point last season. As we all know, the struggles of the run game and how awful that was last season. But uh, Lady Brown uh, had a big day enjoying a lot of the successes, ripping off a long run, longest play of the day, a 43-yarder, and scoring a touchdown during the goal line uh, situation. Uh, offensive line was a big part of that. James Gemitter and Michael Brown at guard and Chase Barrett at center. A lot of those runs coming in between the tackles. As far as the um, players on the outside, Bryce Wheaton had a big day. Um, he's had a few big days in a row. Had a nice, a couple of nice long catches and a touchdown. Um, he's really coming into his own as of late. Uh, Neil Brown also pointed out Reese Smith and Grayson Malasevich. Uh, Malasevich, a redshirt freshman, and was preferred to walk on last year. Reed Smith, a true freshman, said they both made some t- tough catches in traffic. Um, also, he pointed out uh, H.R. Lowe is a good player in the defense. Tar Simmons had a sack. Sean Martin had a sack, uh, the true freshman there. And then uh, Brown also cited on defense. Uh, true freshman defensive end Akeem Mesidor had a good day, as did senior middle linebacker uh, Dylan Tonkery. Um, so a lot, a lot of guys with uh, that stood out. Um, as we talked about earlier, Derry Steele's uh, another standout, uh, a preseason All-American. Um, what else do we got here? I'm going over the notes here. Evan Staley, uh, 2-2 on field goals, 44-38 and 38 yarder. Only five penalties during the scrimmage, all of them going against the offense. Three of them, though, were false starts, uh, something Neil Brown was not happy with. Um, and as far as the punters, as we mentioned earlier, the Troy transfer, Tyler Sumter, appears to be in the head in that competition. Uh, Kendall, Austin Kendall and Jarrett Daigie continue to battle it out uh, for the first-team quarterback. Uh, both have had good days. In this scrimmage, however, Austin Kendall hit uh, Keon Wakefield, the Louisville transfer, for a 23-yard touchdown on a pretty back-shoulder uh, play early in the scrimmage. Also hit Bryce Wheaton for that 35-yard touchdown uh, down the middle of the field. Uh, longest play of the day, Lady Brown's 43-yard run, as we said. And uh, Neil Brown also commented true for, uh, complimented rather true freshman Garrett Green for his play, even though he believes that uh, the competition is just between Kendall and Dakey right now. But as me and Stephen spoke about earlier, Garrett Green is the guy that can be uh, the future of this program, a quarterback, we believe. But as far as the scrimmage, Stephen, anything that stood out to you as far as uh, the notes or, or anything you've heard about in the scrimmage that happened uh, today? Uh, Lady Brown's 43-yard uh, touchdown stands out to me because uh, the running game was sorely, sorely missed last year, as uh, as well as the offensive line play uh, for 99% of game play action <laughs> of last season. Uh, that was one of the main things that I harped on last year that I, that I know. Uh, so that's really exciting for me. Uh, I, I really want to see what this o- offense can do because the defense, I believe, is there. It was there last year. 
if we would have had an offense, an offense that could produce last year, we would have won a lot more football games. And you've seen that in the last game against TCU when the offense actually you know came out and they showed up and played. Uh, so that's why I, I'm still high up on Jared Deggie. Uh, I, I'm hoping you know that's a good sign uh, of things to come for this season and that offensive line and, and Letty Brown because I'm excited to see him too after he was um, out for most of last year. Yeah, absolutely. I think that he's a guy that has feature back written all over him. And I think you got a good complimentary back in Alex Sinkfield as well. I think the run game is going to surprise some people this year. And that's kind of what stood out to me is the run game is uh, playing well. So hopefully that's a good sign. And, and I like everything that came out of that scrimmage. So uh, first scrimmage out of the way, uh, first game less than a month away. And uh, we're going to come at you with a couple more shows before that first game. Uh, next, we're going to come with our 2020 season prediction show, going through the schedule game by game, giving our predictions, as well as a prediction for the Mountaineers' record for the 2020 season. And then after that, we'll just move into our game preview for the uh, first game of the season on September 12th against Eastern Kentucky. Um, any final thoughts, Stephen? Uh, no, I just, like I said, trying to make it through, you know, all of this craziness in the world where, you know, Going to hopefully have a full football season, uh, regardless if we have fans or not. I'm excited to see the you know some football this year. Absolutely, me too. Ready for another season of Mountaineer football and ready to talk about it. We'll be back soon here on the Country Roads webcast. Until next time, for my co-host Stephen, I'm Jordan, and let's go Mountaineers. Country Roads, take me home.